Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with Jennifer Friedenbach, Executive Director of the Coalition on Homelessness. During our conversation, Jennifer talks about the history of homelessness in America, a few of its main causes and common myths, and potential federal public policies that would dramatically reduce its frequency. Welcome to the show. I'm sitting down with Jennifer Friedenbach, who's the executive director of the Coalition on Homelessness in San Francisco. Um, Jennifer, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking some time to talk about homelessness and talk about what you what you guys do here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Um, I'd love to start by learning a little bit about what got you interested in the subject of homelessness initially. Why Why was this something that you personally wanted to get involved with? Well, I actually kind of fell into it, and I applied for a position driving a truck in San Mateo County for the food bank there, and they ended up hiring me as a secretary and part-time uh, with the Hunger and Homeless Action Coalition of San Mateo County. And I worked with some pretty amazing people, and I, I always knew I wanted to do something in nonprofit, something social justice rela- related, and what I quickly came to realize is that homelessness is where all these different oppressions intersect and where there's still a whole lot of hatred out there against the population, um, where it's a way to mask racism and, and other societal problems. And so it just, I kind of got hooked, and, and I've, you know, been continuing ever since because I haven't really felt that full, complete sense of completion yet. Mm-hmm. Are we, at this point in, in the U.S. history, is it as bad as it's ever been? Is it worse than it was 50 years ago? Where, how do you see the U.S. generally dealing with these topics? Well, we're certainly, we certainly have the highest numbers of people experiencing homelessness since the Great Depression. Uh, but you know the the big, um, you know the big onslaught of the crises happened in the early '80s, and it has you know grown steadily ever since. Um, where we've made instead of going back and trying to correct those structural issues that caused the crises in the early '80s, we've made a series of bad policy decisions that have resulted in greater numbers of people experiencing homelessness. And while we've done a little bit to get homeless people off the streets, uh, we've you know, done so much more worse to create more homelessness. So um, we're we're definitely in a bad place right now, uh, especially in particular populations. Um, family homelessness in particular is at its worst, mm. um, you know, and it's been the, the highest in three decades, but, you know, certainly, um, certainly the highest since the Great Depression. Take me back to the early 80s. What was it that happened in that time period that led to the explosion or the increase in homelessness in the U.S.? Well, starting in the late 70s, but really getting rolling in the early 80s in a major way, uh, we cut our federal housing budget by 74%. And it reached the funding just basically plunged down to its lowest point in 1983 when we started opening up uh, shelters across the country. And uh, that timing of that, of, you know, what, what Reagan at that time would have said, we're getting ourselves out of the housing business. Um, but it was deconstructing a lot of the things that were put in place in the New Deal in this country. Uh, he, you know, we had cut everybody off of disability. We um, ended up with our economy switching over to more of a service sector economy, lower wages, uh, no benefits. Uh, we had uh, a situation where 
Um, our wages got really flat, and they weren't keeping up with the rising costs of rents. Um, and that's certainly, I mean, we have so much income disparity and a huge disparity between rent and income. Uh, now, you know, fast forwarding to 2014, it's even worse. But that, those were all the things that were happening, uh, public assistance cuts, you know, um, huge cuts to mental health treatment. You know, our, our entire system basically just got snipped and snipped and snipped. And uh, the biggest one, the very single biggest one, was that massive reduction in housing. Hmm. Is there any movement now or any interest in the public at large or in the, in the political system to increase the funding that's allocated for those resources? You know, it's kind of an interesting thing because you, you look at San Francisco, you look at any big city mayor's programs or, or what, what big cities are facing, and this is homelessness is almost always the top issue. I mean, it's certainly been the top issue in San Francisco, you know, for the last four mayoral uh, reigns. And uh, here, you know, and in, in other cities it's much the same, but it has not translated to the federal government. You know, they've really washed their hands of the problem. They rarely even talk about poverty, frankly. You know, they talk about, you know, we, we, we had this huge issue with the recession and all the foreclosures, and it was very much framed in a middle-class kind of terms. And it's almost like, you know, talking about, homelessness or poverty is a is a no-go area and um, they don't go and don't talk about it and uh, so you know um, at the same time there's a tremendous amount of public pressure to address the issue both in a negative and in a positive way and so it's this this interesting um, schism that needs to be closed you mentioned that it's a topic that politicians often don't even address why is that you know i mean there's a number of things but you know, at this point, part of what's happened over time is that the homeless population has been completely vilified. And, uh, you know, we've we've managed to, to, at least we've attempted to create this permanent underclass. And the way that's worked is, is that you have the federal government making all these really bad policy decisions that led to these huge crises in the local, um, local communities. Um, the local communities didn't really have a means to address it. And so they're, they're left with doing a couple of things, and one of which is calling in the police and having the police manage the population. Um, they can criminalize. They can use the criminal justice system as a way to address it, which is virtually what we've done in all the major cities in the U.S. Um, where, you know, homeless people are, are being jailed for being poor. And the only way you get away with that is this shift in, in public opinion. And the only way that politicians have figured out how to manage this problem uh, is really to start these public campaigns, these public education campaigns where they're turning the public against homeless people. And there have been very protracted campaigns around, you know, around moving public opinion from, you know, this is a structural problem, whether it was, you know, Reagan's closing of institutions is kind of the common one or, you know, whether people have a deeper analysis than that to it's the person's fault who's been homeless. Either there's something wrong with them or they've done something wrong, and that's why they're homeless. And so uh, in San Francisco, you've seen it over and over again. You constantly see public officials talking about how people are turning down services, how they're coming in from out of town, how they're um, basically choosing um, to be homeless, and just really perpetuating these myths that aren't backed up by data at all. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it lets our local politicians off the hook. Um, or, you know, alternatively, demonizing homeless people, as was done in, 
you know, when, when Newsom was running for mayor here, a lot of demonization stuff, you know, um, we got to cut public assistance because they're going to spend it all on drugs and alcohol. Um, we need to make it, you know, aggressive panhandling and do six months in jail because um, they're all spending it on drugs and alcohol, you know. So there's, there's, they even put up billboards that said homeless people spread venereal disease um, as a way to try to pass um, aggressive panhandling measures. So there's, there's been just constantly these really, really nasty um, campaigns that have been successful and people have shifted their attitudes. They now, you know, often, you know, the biggest misnomer is, is that people think homeless folks in San Francisco are not San Franciscans. They think they came from elsewhere, uh, even though the data doesn't show that. But people are shocked. It's like, no, the majority of homeless people in San Francisco became homeless as San Franciscans, you know. Um, or another myth is that people are, you know, that homeless by choice is an urban myth. That's another one that's been really, um, that's really kind of set into the consciousness. So, you know, it really lets our policymakers off the hook um, when someone's doing it. And, and in reality, it's, of course, not the case at all. No one chooses to be homeless. That's a, that's a crazy idea. Mm. You know, you're, you're going to die much quicker. It's really miserable. You're, you know, sleeping on concrete. Human beings aren't meant to live outdoors. Your health deteriorates. You're traumatized day after day. You're mm. treated like crap by everybody involved. It's, you know, it's very, very difficult. So, um, you know, those, those are the kind of myths, though, that we're up against when we're trying to address the issue. Mm. And, you know, for most people that come to a big city like this and, and they see the, the end result is someone ending up on the street homeless, what are the common stories of people that, and some of the common themes of who these people had been, things that happened to them in their life that led to the point where you see them walking around with you know, all of their possessions in a grocery cart? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, the most common thing that everyone has in common is lack of access to accumulated wealth, Right. So that's when there's a bump in the road. Um, there's nothing really to fall back on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're impoverished and your family's impoverished and they're already living overcrowded, it's really difficult to live with them. Um, they're not able to take you in. Whereas if you, you know, you have access to accumulated wealth, you something happens and you can, you know, you have some money you can, you know, get from family members or whatever. Or if you, you know, or you, or there's plenty of space for you to stay with them or, or what have you. So I think the, that that's kind of the most common thing is, is that folks are poor. Mm -hmm. And, um, when, and the most, you know, the, the biggest difference between poor people who are housed and poor people who are not housed is whether or not they have a housing subsidy. Mm -hmm. You know, in San Francisco, we have rent control. So that would be another factor. Maybe you have access to a, you're in a, you know, rent control unit that you've been there a long time and the rent's relatively low. Um, but, you know, aside from that, it's a pretty, pretty diverse population, as diverse as um, America's, you know, poor population is. And um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the oppressions that we see in broad society are reflected in the homeless population. So you have a disproportionate number of African-Americans. You have a disproportionate number of people with disabilities. Um, you have a disproportionate number of single moms, you know. All of that, and so, and um, as as people, and there's no difference between the populations in terms of increased mental health issues or increased addictive disorders. But one at, at the time of becoming homeless. But of course, when people are homeless for prolonged periods of time, you know, multiple years, mm. it's incredibly traumatizing. Their health starts deteriorating. Their mental health is deteriorating. Um, their 
um, likelihood of developing addictive, addictive disorders to self-medicate those issues is much higher. Mm-hmm. And so people get, as, as they're on the streets longer and longer, they get sicker and sicker. And of course, it would have just been cheaper for us to house them to begin with. It actually costs more money to keep people homeless than it does to put them in housing. Mm-hmm. And at the very best, we're, you know, I mean, at the very worst, we're breaking even. Uh, so it's a, uh, you know, a really, um, you know, a really bad policy decision that we're making keeping folks homeless. Hmm. Have there been any major policy decisions or options or votes that have taken place in the last 10 years that really were at least had a legitimate chance at taking a, a serious whack at the homelessness problem in America? Or have those potential forms of legislation just not even been in existence at all? You know, they there, um, there has been some housing initiatives that um, that have not um, made it very far on the federal level. And there's been, you know, kind of like some hate crime stuff that hasn't made it very far on the federal level. Um, the, there's been a lot of local initiatives that, you know, that have been successful, um, and then a lot more that haven't been. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty varied, uh, but you know, the, 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 the federal government, or, I mean, really what needs to happen and, and this is where it's pretty challenging with, uh, the lack of um, interest at the federal level is they need to restore funding for housing in this country. They don't have to necessarily do it the same way they did it to begin with, but they certainly need to do construction. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't need to do, you know, huge public housing developments that are 100% extremely low income. You can do mixed developments. You can, you know, put in commercial spaces. You can place them in, in areas where you have economic development, where you have banks, where you have grocery stores. I certainly could do it in mm-hmm. the country and probably, you know, what, 30 days of Iraq war spending, we could have constructed enough housing for every man, woman and child in the United States. And it would have been beautiful housing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of political will. Mm-hmm. And so there, there, there's been those initiatives and there, there is every year um, initiatives to, um, you know, try to comprehensively fund housing in one way or another. You know, there's been the National Housing Trust Fund movement for quite a while and um, instead, we're going in the opposite direction. Every year we've been cutting. You know, there's this whole agenda to cut public housing so severely that we just totally get out of the business of public housing um, so that the, the, you know, the public housing developments become so decrepit and, you know, so unlivable that we have to come in and say, oh, we need to tear this housing out, which is what, you know, what happened famously in New Orleans. And so, you know, that that's the direction we're going in. It's a complete opposite direction. And as we continue in that direction, we're creating more and more homelessness. Mm. And it's a huge mistake. Mm. You were mentioning earlier about the some of the mental health and addictive issues that are afflicted by people who are homeless. And perhaps one of the misnomers is that those are actually develop after they become homeless. It's not necessarily the addiction or the mental illness, mental illness that's causing the homelessness. It's, it's, it's often the other way around. Is that... Is that the case? Is that your Yeah, experience? I mean, my point was is that at the point of homelessness in low-income communities, there's no higher proportion of mental. Between if you're housed or not housed, there's no higher percentages of mental illness or substance abuse. Between the two populations, it's pretty much the same. The rates start increasing as people are homeless for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, homelessness causes mental health issues, and absolutely it causes addictive disorders, you know, if you look at it from that, that perspective. And, and it's, it's really the trauma involved that is that link. Mm-hmm. And so addictive disorders are, and, and, and mental health issues are, are very, a lot of times linked to trauma. You know, you look at women, for example, with addictive disorders and, and very high percentages of them have to have some kind of physical or sexual trauma in their past. And so, um, 
it's really, really hard for women to stay safe out on the streets, for mm -hmm. example. You know, you're, the likelihood of experiencing a sexual assault is really high. You don't have a door to lock. You're totally open prey out there. So you think about, the, you know, these, these experiences that people have and having and then that link to sexual trauma, to addictive disorders, and then not being able to access treatment because, of course, our treatment programs have been cut to death and not ever having that safety. It's really, really difficult. So, you know, that's just one, one kind of example. But, you know, it's, a, uh, it's definitely a problem being homeless. It's really, really hard to stay healthy. Are there countries that have programs or have a, a certain amount of money that's allocated for homeless people that you would view as, as a potential model that could be implemented in the U.S. or at least something that we could aspire to? Yeah, I mean, well, pretty much every Western country has, you know, besides the United States. I mean, none of them have the level of homelessness that we see. I mean, there's some, you know, Australia has, you know, a little bit, you know, and there's, you know, England has a little bit, you know, there's, there's, nothing looking at like what we're looking at. I mean, there's in San Francisco, we have 2,100 homeless children alone, and that's just school age. So nobody's looking at the numbers that we're looking at in the United States. And we're just one city, you know, in a country. So our rates, our rates are high. Um, you know, if for those countries, they have, um, they have housing allowances, they have you know, um, guaranteed unemployment. It's not, they don't have a, a whole bunch of different public assistance programs. You just are, if you're out of work, you get employment um, and you have housing mm -hmm. and that's, that's how they do it. And so, you know, as some of them have started, like England, for example, and Australia have started following the United States in kind of having a much, um, you know, much more conservative attitude towards social programs and have started cutting away at their social, their own social safety nets. They've seen increases in homelessness and, um, have started to kind of go down our road, not as severely and as, 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 uh, you know, poorly as we have dunked on, but that's, you know, that's certainly happening. And so it's, it's, it's really not rocket science. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, you know, other countries also have much higher minimum incomes instead of having these huge disparities between rents and, and incomes. And so, um, they've been much, much farther ahead in that, in that way too. Um, the countries that, you know, in a lot of the countries that have the strongest social programs and the strongest safety network are the same ones that are thriving economically, um, that are the strongest from, from that perspective. I mean, you know, you look at Germany, I mean, they've got a very, very strong economy in Germany and they've also got, they don't have the homelessness there. Mm -hmm. Um, they've got, you know, um, they do have some squatting that happens for sure. Um, but they have a lot more protection for squatters' rights there. Mm. Um, but you're not going to see people on the streets when you're in Germany at all. Um, and they do have access to um, housing and income and, um, you know, definitely some economic development that's more targeted towards folks. Is it something about America? I mean, is it is it something about the story that Americans tell themselves that's at the core of the problem? Is it part of our ideology? What is it that makes the problem so much worse here than everywhere else? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question, and absolutely our culture is a bootstraps culture, right? So it's a sense that everyone can come here, and they can do well, and this is the land of opportunity, and if you don't make it, it's because you're, you know, um, you're not trying hard enough, mm. and you're lazy, and that's why you're not successful. Mm. And that, that, is, that is the underlying, you know, cultural, at least the dominant culture in the United States. And we also measure stuff so heavily by our physical possessions. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't emphasize community. We don't emphasize collective, you know, um, 
support for each other. Um, and you know, it's, you know, that's, that's part of our family structure as well. You're expected to make it on your own when you're 18. Of course, that's totally unrealistic at this point. Um, you know, there's just not the jobs or anything for folks, even if they're college educated coming out of college, like they're gonna, they're gonna need some, some support in order to, to make it and, um, except in very rare circumstances. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's the thing that we tell ourselves. And, you know, at the same time, you know, people in the U S like to be very charitable and they like to give money to poor people. And, um, we ha also have, you know, the, this whole charitable institution, which is, you know, which in a lot of ways kind of lets government off the hook. Mm. Um, it's, it's super important to do. Um, but there's also this mentality that, you know, the churches can take care of it or the charities. And we don't have that. We really don't have that political analysis that connects poverty to bad political decisions. Um, we connect it to personal behavior mm -hmm. and that's very, very entrenched in our culture. Mm. And that's probably not the case in really anywhere else in the world, whether it's a developing country or a westernized country. I mean, people, you know, people have that sense of, of, of recognizing, you know, we recognize that an environment in the United States, we recognize that a lack of regulation mm -hmm. leads to environmental mishaps or environmental destruction and people make that connection and never make it in poverty. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really closely tied to our cultural beliefs. Mm. In a city like this, talk a little bit about what, what resources are actually at one's disposal if someone does is on the cusp of becoming homeless or actually is homeless and needs needs help so you know if someone has someone's on on the edge of becoming homeless meaning they're maybe they uh, you know maybe dad broke his arm and he gets his uh he does pick up construction work and that's the steady family income and he's out of work for a while but doesn't have benefits to carry him over um there is some programs for back rent to try to keep people in their housing. Um, once you're out of housing, you know, if it's a family with kids, you can expect about a six month wait for shelter. Um, you have to go through a pretty extensive assessment pro process. Um, if you're a single adult, you know, you have to get fingerprinted and biometric imaged and go through all this crazy stuff. And then you'll, you know, you can sign up for shelter and you'll be put on a wait list and it's about 700 and some odd people long. Um, and then in both of those situations the you know, the shelters will be pretty short term and then you have to go through that process over again. Um, you can expect there's not going to be a lot of housing resources out there. Um, you try, if you try to get public housing, you'll find the wait list closed. Um, you know, it's, if, if you're lucky enough to be in a shelter and severe enough that you'll get picked for, you know, one, the one housing unit a year that that shelter is able to get people into, um, one or two or three units a year, um, then, you know, you can get lucky, but the, the chances are you'll be one of the other thousand some odd people that are unlucky. So it's not, um, there's not a lot of resources. Um, there's, you know, some hot meal programs. Um, you can pretty much expect to eat at least once a day. Um, so you won't starve to death. Um, but you will certainly experience hunger. And, uh, yeah, so it's, um, I don't think that we're so significantly different from other places and some of the more cold weather um, areas of the country during winter time they're going to have much much broader access to shelter but it's going to be on a night to, night by night basis and you're going to have to carry your belongings with you and it's not going to be very stable and it's probably just going to be during the cold weather spells uh, but but yeah you're, it's not 
Um, in San Francisco, for example, we have one shelter for every five homeless people. You work at, on the ground floor of one of the most challenging social problems that we have as a city or, and as a country. How do you, where, where does your hope come from? I mean, how do, you, how do you come to work every day watching this? And I'm assuming with all of the challenges that you see and all of the depravity and all the suffering, that eventually gets channeled into anger oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And to whom do you direct the anger or to what do you direct the anger? So, you know, for us, we, we, you know, the Coalition on Homelessness, we've had a lot of success. And even though we're, you know, we're, you know, sometimes it feels like you're swimming up river a lot of times because. Does it ever feel like you're not swimming up river? Um, well, you know, I mean, we, we, we make these huge gains. So like last year, we, you know, we were able to stave off displacement through our efforts for about a couple thousand different households in San Francisco. So, wow, that was incredible. You know, we have all this mass displacement still occurring, but it would have been so much worse. Um, we're able to get, you know, through, through our efforts, get hundreds of people, you know, out of homelessness every year. Um, at this point, you know, um, city has about 6,000 units for homeless people. And a lot of that's due to you know, efforts by us and, and other community-based organizations really pushing to make it happen and then doing the hard work to actually construct it. And um, and <clears throat> yet we still have, you know, 6,000-plus people that are still on the streets. And so um, in terms of how we channel our anger, how we, ch- you know, channel our efforts, you know, we really, we really try to focus on the policymakers that are either not making any decisions and are just sitting on this issue uh, or are doing really bad things mm. and um, really, really try to target there, um, which is where, which is where the problem, where the buck starts, and who who created the problem to start with. And we really work hard, and this is where you know you get more inspired and you see kind of just perseverance of human spirit. Is homeless people themselves, um, you know, are you know seventy percent of our staff is homeless or formerly homeless, and. All of our campaigns and everything we're working for is all led by and created by homeless people themselves and coming up with really specific solutions um, to the problems that they're facing. And that's a really beautiful thing to watch as well. It does sound like from from this conversation that a lot of these issues, in your judgment, are it's, it's simply a matter of priorities and, and money. Mm-hmm. That these This is just a resources question. And if, if, the, if resources and priorities were realigned, that a lot of these major problems are fixable. Is that is that your your view? Absolutely, it's our view. Yeah, yeah it, it absolutely is. I mean, of course, you know, if we're talking about mental health, if we're talking about substance abuse, you know, those on an individual basis can be really difficult. You know, mental health, for example, you know, you can try medications, but they're only going to work for 60% of the population. There's mm-hmm. going to be 40% of people who are, have severe psychiatric illnesses that never respond to medication. So, but really fundamentally what we're talking about right now is we're talking about homelessness. So if we, in terms of getting people in homes, yeah. it's not that complicated. We just we need we just need the homes. And there's even in a city as dense as San Francisco, there's plenty of places if we had the resources to make it happen. And then people, you give people keys, they are nobody's turning that down. Yeah. Everybody wants a safe and decent place to live. And so, you know, that's that that it it really does in the end end up being a resource issue for the more complicated social issues, the unemployment, the you know, these kinds of things, once people are in housing and they're stabilized, mm. it's so much easier to address all that other stuff can really melt away. Mm. And that's a that's a beautiful part of it, you know. And so 
Um, the health, really severe health problems, of course, those are created by living outside. That mm. once you have access to a shower, once you have access to a sink to wash your hands, once you have, you know, all of that, that it's, you know, it's able to address. And you, you see it, you know, you see it in the faces of people, you know, it's like human faces, that map, you know, you can look at people and see how, you know, how they're faring or not faring. And, you know, when we see people that are housed and we see them just like a month later and how much physically better they look mm-hmm. and um, getting some rest and, you know, we're talking about people who look 20 years older than their actual age, right? You know, they're suddenly looking the age that they actually are. And, right. you know, it's beautiful to see. The last question I want to ask you, if, if you could be the benevolent dictator for a day and design and have full control over, you know, two or three or four laws or maybe even one law that could be passed in this country to resolve this issue or, or at least really improve the situation, what would you do? I think the first thing would be the right to housing and make and, and, and just, you know, shift around all the resources and make sure that we were that we were moving towards. Of course, you know, a lot of it is new construction, so it wouldn't happen overnight. But within a couple of years, we'd be able to house everyone. Yeah. And um, it's not it's not an intractable social problem. It's perceived that way, but it's not at all. And um, we're choosing not to solve it. One other follow-up question I wanted to ask you to that point, because it it does seem like the major opposition to these sort of movements, it's an economic argument that generally conservative politicians make against investing money in doing it. And it sounds like if if you really crunch the numbers that oftentimes it's the long-term wrong economic decision to not make that investment up front to provide people with basic rights and basic housing rights and basic sanitation to prevent future hospital bills and wh- whatever else might happen, is that becoming more of the argument that your organization and, our, and other organizations like yours are are making? And is is it successful? You know, it it, it you know it really should homelessness should not be a partisan issue exactly for that reason because we are you know wasting resources and I think I have noticed locally and I've seen nationally you know there have been shifts in people with more conservative. Um, ideologies around this issue and, and kind of coming to the realization that it is sucking up more government resources, keeping people homeless, and um, it is smarter to, to, to address these things. And I think that, um, you know, we haven't gotten all the way there, um, but, you know, under the Bush administration, that's when they started talking about, um, you know, having direct access to housing, that not having to go through a bunch of services in order to get housing and although they didn't put the resources there that they should have um, and kind of just spread a few breadcrumbs around, you know, the, the thinking on it was correct at mm. least, um, that, you know, what's the solution to homelessness? Housing, duh, you know, and, and, and figuring that out. So uh, I think, you know, I think that it, um, it certainly is uh, the primary part of the messaging and um, hopefully – you know, it'll start catching on to stronger and stronger degrees, and um, we'll start seeing some real fundamental shifts. But, you know, it has to go beyond the rhetoric. They have to actually, you mm-hmm. know, our policymakers actually have to put resources towards it, which uh, sometimes that means, you know, and this is where, you know, it ends up being more problematic. But, you know, maybe they need to shift some of the money that they're giving away to um, other people. You know, a lot of times people talk about, for example, the homeowner exemption in our taxes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's that was sort of what the shift that happened in the early 80s is we started cutting, you know, we cut all the support for federal housing and started giving, you know, a lot more um, uh, tax breaks, which is basically giving money away mm-hmm. um, to, to homeowners. And, and, you know, we just, you know, and, and there's a bunch of those examples. But 
Um, you know, so it's got to move beyond the rhetoric. It's got to be actual, you know, priority in terms of where we put our resources. Jennifer, thanks so much for taking the time and coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com. Thank you.